Howdy folks, this week's episode is an interview with friend of the pod, Matt Corley. You may remember him from episode 45, where we talked about horror RPGs and his module Insanity System for 5e, Lamps Light Sanitarium. This time we talk about his new project that explores turn-of-the-century adventure in a real-world historical setting. I was sick during this interview, so I'm not present, but I really wish I was there for this one. Topics range from children playing RPGs, to research for historical fiction, to how the tabletop RPG community has come together even in times of crisis. You're going to love it. So here it is, our interview with Matt Corley. So we're joined today once again by Matt Corley. Uh, he was with us a number of episodes ago talking about Lamps Light Sanitarium. Well, now, what was that about? So Lamps Light Sanitarium was my first book um, that I published by myself. It was probably my third book written. Um, but what it was or what it is, it's a Victorian Gothic um, setting book or campaign book that is fully compatible with D&D 5th edition. Um, it would be a great drop-in to something like Ravenloft or actually even Eberron or Waterdeep or, you know, there's a lot of different ways to put it in there. And actually even one of the chapters in the book is actually how to drop it into a 5e setting you've already got going. Um, so, yeah, Lampslight did kind of two things. One, it really added Victorian Gothic um, atmosphere um, and a setting. And then the other thing with Lampslight was a mechanic that I wrote. Um, I wrote new sanity and madness rules because the madness rules in D&D right now, I think it's like three pages, maybe two, um, which is mostly charts and pictures. So they're pretty mm -hmm. thin. Um, and you know what? It's a great opportunity for role playing. And it's also a great opportunity to insert or to kind of add some sort of mechanical, in some cases mechanical, but some sort of. I hesitate to use the word consequence, but kind of is. Um, but something that sticks with your character beyond a long rest. Mm. You know, right now you can get, you know, a fire, you know, a red dragon can, you know, hit you for 155 hit points of damage. And as long as you have 156 hit points tomorrow, <laughs> after sleeping in hours, you're good to go and give it another shot. Man, um, if only real life worked like that. Well, yeah, I know. It's always funny. We hear people say, like, I'm not sure what's more re unrealistic, being healed after eight hours or getting eight hours of sleep. <laughs> For me, it's getting oh, the no. eight hours of sleep. I don't, that's, that, that's like a, at least a day and a half's worth. I'm going to put five or six hours sleep, if it's, that. That's um, so funny. The fantasy is very deep on uh, on sleep in the game. It is. It is. So, yeah. So, Lampslight, it has a couple of great tables. There's four different types of um, Insanity Madness with different lengths of, ther of, lengths of therapy. I'm a pharmacist. You guys know that. <laughs> different lengths of um, kind of duration. So, you know, you have some that only last for the encounter. Some that only last for literally like a moment. Um, some that last until you get a night's sleep or some that may go forever. So, a lot of really neat mechanics. Um, gotten fantastic feedback from, oh gosh, by now with the other book that I've had, I've had about a thousand people play it wow. uh, or a thousand wow. copies sold between it and Whispers. And so far, I have gotten fantastic feedback. Everybody seems to like it. And there's a cheat sheet in it. And there's a lot of ways to make it a lot. Um, easier for the dm and the player to actually incorporate it so it's not it might sound cumbersome because again the rules are pretty big but it's mostly because there's lots of examples and charts and that kind of stuff and then in the pre-show we were talking about uh, your second project was it your second uh, harper's tale 
Yeah, so Harper's Tale was an Indiegogo um, that I did with my daughter, Harper. Um, and it's, again, the book's based on her name, not on the D&D faction that some of you folks <laughs> seem to not like. Um, and, you know, she was diagnosed with leukemia last year in February. And, you know, she likes games and we play D&D. And we kind of put together an outline in the hospital. She got home and... Um, I just pulled in a bunch of my friends, you know, other writer friends and artists and editors. And we wrote a adventure path first through 10th level based on a lot of the work that Harper and I did, excuse me, in the hospital and used the funds from that book. We actually donated all the profits. So I worked for obviously nothing. Um, almost everybody took a fairly significant pay chunk, uh, pay cut and, or and or just donated their fees straight to friends. Mm -hmm. Um, friends and kids probably, I think they got $10,000 cash and then there's a bunch more money that we'll be able to get them, um, by, as the year goes out, the book will be released to backers in about four weeks and it will be on drive through RPG probably in about six weeks for the PDF and I'm guessing June for the hardcover. Wow. That's so cool. And so, um, how old was she? I guess I should say, how old is she right now? She's nine. So wow. she was eight. What? We played so yeah, and you know what? I I've talked to people about this, and this will come up in things further down the road. But I actually believe that, especially with a pretty good DM, and I know there's a lot of really good DMs out there that you can play D and D with a with a first grader. Mm -hmm. um, you adjust the content, obviously, but if a kid can roll dice and count the numbers and add them up, that that's basically the math involved. And as long as the DM can kind of keep things, you know, answer questions pretty quickly or at least adjust as needed fast, you know, little kids do it. Um, Harper, I think, was in kindergarten or first grade the first time she played. Um, one of my good friends, John, his daughter and his little boy also have played. Joey was Joey was in first grade, too, when he played. We waited till Joey was first grade. So, yeah, first grade's about as young as we've done. Um, but it worked great. That's, a, that's interesting. Okay, this is going to sound weird, but, like... I feel like a lot of like kids' shows in general are very similar to D and D, like in the the story mm -hmm. format. So oh like gosh. that that kind of makes sense to me, like in a very weird way. But it just like you might not just think of it. Right. So. No, I absolutely agree, a hundred percent. I know we weren't going to talk about this, and I'm going to plug myself for you guys for going back in about three months again. Um, I am going to write a book. It's actually in, and not in it. It's kind of an outline book right now um, called Zoinks, which is going to be written for kids, um, probably six, seven years old up. And wow. we'll take, well, it'll take what we're going to talk about in Whispers in the Dark and Horror in the Windy City. It's actually using that rule engine and um, making some adjustments. And again, making it very family friendly, but also making it an investigative, a mystery game. It's taking out the horror. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah. So I don't want to get it too far ahead of ourselves in this. But yeah, Zoinks is, I'm pretty excited about Zoinks, actually. You know, and obviously the name's from Scooby Doo. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I had the time to write all the books that I have listed to write. But <laughs> well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, gonna to go back to, what is so you designed this adventure path harper's tale with her like what does the process look like collaborating with an eight-year-old for a writing project it's not collaborating so much it's just kind of a listening <laughs> <laughs> her you know her and i really did something very basic um you know it's it's in a forest it is actually so it does talk a lot about so there's a disease that is affecting the forest in different areas of the forest 
And the disease, of course, is kind of analogous to cancer or to her leukemia. And the characters in the book are the pre, there's pregens. Um, but then, of course, you start at first level. Too. But the PCs take the role of a group that, you know, they start off as first level, they end at 10th, um, where they are basically kind of cleaning up after these experiments. And so each experiment happens or there's a side effect from an experiment. Um, and they go in and kind of figure out what's going on, who did it and why he did it uh, eventually. And it really does actually. So there are things in it that are definitely Easter eggs that, I mean, I don't mind talking about, but I mean, you guys know I'm a pharmacist. I'm also in, I'm actually also an oncology pharmacist and have been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have things in there that they, you know, the PCs have to find like periwinkle, which is actually used in chemotherapy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there's a, okay. Yeah, there's so a lot of older chemo is, and again, I don't want to skip too too therapeutic, <laughs> um, but a lot of old chemos are actually based on plants, and these are old chemos that still work, that work great and are still in use, like Van Christine and a couple others. I mean, actually, like Harper med, Medicine Harper has taken is based on periwinkle. Wow. Um, and so we actually kind of built that in there a little bit, and that was obviously mostly me doing it, but it was her <laughs> idea to see have an adventure in a forest where the heroes are trying to find out and save people. And then at the end of it, you find out, and I'm just going to ruin it for whoever, because, oh, well, um, <laughs> I've, I've shared this before, I'm sure somewhere, but at the end of it, you find out that the person who's actually doing it is doing it to save their loved one mm. also mm. has the disease and the experiments they're doing, they're trying to find a cure. And they're so in they're so um, overcome with grief that they're willing to do almost anything to find that cure. And so there's a whole I mean, it, it's at one level, it's kind of deep, um, but it's very it's very investigative, but it also can be very actiony if you want. Um, it, it's really a we, we kind of tag it as a story of hope and redemption. No, mm. I like that a lot, especially for kids yeah. to have a story yeah. where the bad guy is actually um, turns out to be an empathetic figure. He can be exactly, absolutely yeah. right. Ethor is our bad guy. Ethor, Ethor. She actually, <laughs> so Harper actually did come up with his name because we were looking at stuff. She loves Thor. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we were, she's like, well, e, we're E Thor comes from electronic Thor because we were staring at my computer. I'm like, well, he's electronic here, and we're like, oh, E Thor, and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that was the, the, the deep etymology. Yeah, the deep etymology. All right, so before we dive into your new project, I want to. Um, we, we're living in an unprecedented time, and I was wondering, um, how is how is life during uh, the COVID nineteen uh, experience? Yeah, so it's my uh, my partner and I were talking yesterday about this, and her and I are both, and she's also in healthcare, and. Mm-hmm. You know, we're both, I'm, I'll be 44 in uh, six weeks and, you know, she's almost, she's about to, almost my age and we were both talking about it. We've never, ever seen or think, seen anything like this. Hmm. Um, we kind of talked about 9-11. I was actually working in a pharmacy at 9-11 when it happened. And I remember everything just disappearing. I mean, literally disappearing for like two days. And we talked about it like, you know, it's kind of like that, but I mean, this is still going on. This isn't anywhere going away. I mean, this is. This is an experience that's going to change our world. Um, mm-hmm. It already has. And I'm not sure that or I don't believe that this that we will have the same world when this is resolved that we had before. it. I think there's going to be everlasting changes. I think a lot of them are going to be good ones. 
Um, I mean, it really is like kind of, I mean, it's like a World War II level event for civilization, if if that makes any kind of sense. At least that's what I think. Weirdly, yeah. Like that, that does make sense because it's something so uh, universally like impactful on everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in some ways, and her and I were talking about it, and you know, honestly, in some ways, this is bigger. This has a larger impact than a war. Like, you know, that level of war because... I mean, there's nobody on our streets. Hmm. There yeah. are grocery stores are mostly empty. I mean, this is again, and it's you can't choose to sit this one out either, you know, um, for for whatever reasons make sense. Um, and and there's certainly good reasons not to go to war. Obviously, most of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, it's it, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know science fiction writers write about, or you know, the spec fiction writers write about. It's it's a big it's. And it's unprecedented, and hopefully it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, so what state do you live in? I'm in Missouri. Midwest. Oh, okay. So I'm actually relatively insulated, because I'm literally <laughs> in the middle of the country. Um, you know, I'm not in New York. I'm not in Florida. I'm not in any of the states to have all the international flights and traffic. Because um, yeah. those are obviously, or even like Chicago, which is so densely populated. Um, Missouri's we've done pretty darn well actually as far as that goes um, you know at least it's we haven't been as impacted from a patient perspective as as a lot of other states yeah um, we're in California and uh, they yeah. shut down things really quickly so mm-hmm. apparently uh, according to the graphs that I've seen as of this recording um, we're doing pretty well I think I think I saw a thing said that, you know, I didn't get a chance to read it, but it said there were a couple states on the West Coast, and I assumed it was going to be California, maybe Washington State, maybe Oregon, um, have done things really, have done things well, and are actually starting to flatten the curve a bit, which was wonderful yeah. to hear, and, you know, hopefully everybody else can kind of do some lessons learned and start doing it on, um, in other places as well. Okay, well, so how has the quarantine impacted your D&D group? So my D&D group is pretty challenging to get to anyway. Um, <laughs> so we're all roughly my age. Um, so we're all in our 40s and uh, 30s. And so, you know, there's healthcare people like directly, um, you know, like, I mean, there are some of us, actually, this is kind of funny as we are all in one way, shape or form in healthcare. Um, two of us are clinicians, a couple other people are IT. Um, and between the four or five of us, we all work in different companies too. And so it's been very challenging. Um, you know, it's already, it was already hard to get people together just because life gets in the way. Um, now it's even harder because downtime for at least our group is, is much less. Um, and of course the other thing is, you know, we, when we did schedule one and we ended up having to miss it because we couldn't get it done, um, you know, it's going to be through, what do we use? We've used I've used Fantasy Grounds and Roll Twenty, um, Discord, even Zoom works mm-hmm. actually. So any of yeah. that stuff. So you know what? A little bit. You know that that's what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to go completely remote because one of my good my good friend that plays with me he's lit- our yards back up to each other so we usually just sit at the table. Um, <laughs> obviously that that can't happen anymore. Yeah, we've uh, we've made the shift to online for our group. We were meeting in person. Um, it was the most regular D&D group I've ever had, and I've been playing for a decade because we actually meet weekly, which is tremendous. Um, but just as we hit our stride, all of a sudden we can't meet. And so we do online, and there's definitely something missing from 
the game when it's online. There's a, a certain level of energy and excitement that happens when you're in person. That's just, it doesn't translate exactly when you're just sitting at your desk in your own home alone on a phone call. Right. No, absolutely. I think you can't, you know, it's almost like you're in a meeting online, you know, like I, I've been working at home forever, um, you know, and it's just not the same level of engagement when you're not. Physically. Yeah. I think that the online games are fantastic. Um, I think there's a lot to offer there. I just think it's a different experience. It, it's just a little bit different. I think there's some things you can do better probably online, like actually your handouts and all that stuff for the DM. Oh, yeah. So much better. And, you know, I just thought of this now. I mean, there might be, if you're online, maybe you feel a little more comfortable dressing up or making weird voices and saying stuff or role-playing. I think, you know, I've definitely heard folks say that they prefer online a lot because it's an easier thing for them from a kind of a anxiety-type uh, standpoint. And, and again, mm-hmm. for that, mm, that's fantastic. And I think if it loosens, you know, if it allows you to enjoy it, I think that's great. And I think there are definitely going to be people out there that actually prefer online over real uh or or over um in in in-person games i would i'd be shocked if there weren't actually a fair amount of them i'm i'm gonna be interested to see uh in uh, the next year or so like all of the tools that come out of um people being stuck at home um having to play online there's gonna be a lot of innovation where it's like oh we could play online and we could do this more easily and like they'll and they'll we'll see a lot more DM tools come out of this because more people are there's gonna be more demand for online play. I which think will so. be very interesting. Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah. I'm I looking to see that improve. We're already seeing a lot of tools go on sale or even just be completely free for, you know, a couple of weeks here. Um, right. I know the tabletop simulator was half off and then obviously if you own fantasy grounds, let's say, they have all these packs that are on sale. Um, just to make sure people have the, the ability to play. I think, you know, I mean, that kind of reminds me of something that, again, you know, you guys, we've talked before, so you guys know I get on tangents, and anybody <laughs> ever, ever knows I get on tangents. But I think that's an interesting comment on a couple ways, because, you know, obviously my, all of our Twitters and socials, it's a little bit of an echo chamber, and that is what it is. And that's not, in in my my Twitter and in my social media stuff, I have seen so many wonderful gestures from artists and writers and game designers and game companies. I mean, it in some ways, it seems like the little folks, the ones that are most likely to actually be impacted by not being able to, or by having their lives basically disrupted, are giving the most, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, drive through RPG has a thing up of games that are free now that weren't. And, you know, I can't even count how many free novels and um, novellas and scenarios and such that I have seen because we all want to help each other. You know, it's such a community yeah. and I definitely learned that in Harper's Tale um, because it was grassroots. We were in, we were Indiegogo. We were not Kickstarter. So that was a huge strike against us. I didn't have a single big name, um like person to really push it you know we had a we had a a tweet a retweet of a retweet from matt mercer once um which did help actually a lot um but you know i got dnd beyond was able to help me and we just again the the communities of writers and i mean all of them and creatives in general is a lot tighter than i think folks give us credit for Mm -hmm. Um, a lot more supportive too which it's it's pretty great. Um, and I think it's it seems to be the smaller ones, like the gamers 
or you know i also do a lot of horror stuff of course like the horror stuff people like they are they'll give i mean they will literally give you a book for free that is their only source of income to make sure that you're you know to help you have a good store have a better day hmm. it's it's really neat it's like it's 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 one of those kind of like silver linings faith in humanity kind of type things uh, <laughs> yeah that it's really nice to see yeah so building on that a little bit maybe this is too much of a tangent there's this idea that uh, this quote, and I think it's from some dictator, maybe, or maybe it's Churchill, and he says, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think that he was meaning it in a negative of like, you know, exploiting crisis for gain. But I think there's something about crisis and fear that brings people together. And mm -hmm. like you're saying, like, it seemed like we had reached this critical mass of infighting and uh, subdividing groups and just kind of a, a generally negative communal experience in terms of like the internet community in general. And like you're saying in, in all this, like I'm seeing my neighbors, I've met so many of my actual neighbors in real life because they're all walking around and bored. Um, yep. Where it's like, it's so cool and, and everybody's so nice to each other. Um, it almost, I don't know if, uh, if you got into this a couple of summers ago, um, Pokemon go came out and, yeah. and it was like, oh everybody God. was, it was yeah. it was so fun and everybody was walking around and talking and, and it made our city feel smaller and cozier and just so welcoming of just walking yeah. around in a park and saying, like, hey, did you catch such and such Pokemon? And <laughs> it's funny <laughs> to compare these two like terrible or like a great thing to a terrible thing. But like you, you said it before, I think a lot of good will come out of this, whether that is like legislative or just all the way down to a neighborhood level. Right. Yeah, I mean, I go on a yeah. walk almost every day now because I can't go to the gym. And when I go to the gym, I put on my headphones. I tune everything out except for the audiobook that I'm listening to and do my workout. And I mean, I go to the little Globo gym. It's got a thousand people in there probably. Um, now I walk a mile or two or whatever, and I see people every single day. Mm -hmm. and yeah. That never happened before. And I think I think that quote is good. You know, I mean, exploit sounds bad, but it really in and of itself, it's not. It just says, you know, I even looked it up while I was sitting here. It's like make use, make full use or derive a benefit from something. Hmm. And there is no reason why you can't make that 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 benefit be good. You know, that's that I think it is. It, I really, really hope that we get some long term good things from this, like you said. And I don't want to get we won't get all politics, but, you know, yep. legislative um, or just community. And just, again, I really think that we, a lot of people are doing a really good job turning this into a situation that's as good as it can be, I guess. Maybe that's that's probably the, the final point. So um, I've seen a lot of issues that people are having with Kickstarters right now where <laughs> it was a good time to kickstart like a month ago. And oh, now yeah. it's no, the worst yeah. possible time to do it. So... Um, what's your yeah. experience? So I was talking about, again, I've talked, uh, Russ over at, um, Ian world is someone I, him and I, I really, really get along well with Russ and him and I talk every once in a while. I've been on their, their podcast as well. And we tweet or we, uh, message back and forth and he, we were talking about that. And then also again, my partner and I were talking about it. And so the timing of my Kickstarter is challenging to say the least. So right now I have a Kickstarter. It's two books, which again, there's a lot of ways I made this harder than it probably had to be. <laughs> uh, so it's two books. The Devil Cities, the name of the Kickstarter. It's a horror fiction novella that I wrote with a Bram Stoker Award winner. And it's also a fifth edition campaign setting. 
um, that takes place in the Whispers in the Dark World, which is D&D with basically D&D in a world like our own. Um, okay. And we took out classes. So it's instead of heroic fantasy, it's more investigative horror. Um, so anyway, so mm-hmm. the Kickstarter had $12,000, which is not a small amount. I'm at, at this exact instant, thirty one thirty five. 35 after not quite a quarter of the week. You know, not a, quite one weekend. I'm a little bit over 25% there. I had hoped to be at about twice that. Um, I really hope to hit 3000 on day one because day one's your biggest day. And I did the Kickstarter because a, a couple of reasons. One is I did want to get some of the money back. I've been, I've paid my writers and my artists already. I've already got a lot of this done. The novel, the novel is finished, completely finished and is in reviewers hands. Um, the book itself is about 60, 70% done art. I mean, again, I've paid everybody mostly. And I wanted this Kickstarter now for a couple of reasons. One is the creators that I have in it, um, their contracts have a profit sharing clause, which means that if I kickstart, they immediately get a 10% raise. Basically, it's about 10% um, over what I'm paying. And I'm paying, I'm paying professional rates. I'm not paying a nickel. I'm paying what is the, you know, like what science fiction fantasy writers association and the horror writer association and all the professional writing associations. Um, I'm paying their rate to my mm-hmm. writer. And so for the funding, my hope was one is if I fund one, they get more work because we have to finish the book. And two, their pay again actually goes up every single time we hit a milestone. And so I wanted to give them more work and give them more to give them more money and to give my artists more work. And again, so there's that's the altruistic part of it. And it absolutely was why I didn't back it out. The, um, I guess, selfish word is when I haven't paid myself for any of this. Um, and this is coming all out of my pocket, of course. So I kind of wanted to try to recoup my money, <laughs> which would be nice. Um, and again, I want to keep publishing books. And if I'm going to publish books, I have to create a product. I have to get it out there um, one way or the other. I've been working on this Kickstarter since December, and, and I, again, I kind of took a risk, and we'll see. I, I think I can still get there. I really, really, really hope I do. I'm going to have to make a go-no-go decision probably at the end of the third week. Probably. Gosh. We'll see. And I really hope the decision is let's get moving, um, because it's a fantastic book. I'm super excited about it. So, I don't know. I guess that's that's it in a nutshell. Well, okay, let's talk about the book now because um Yay. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to hear it. So uh do you want to start with the novella or the yeah. Uh... yeah, let's start with the novella actually, because that's kind of the order I would probably do do it in. So so the novella is called The Devil City. And it is available as an ebook. It's also available as a limited edition um hardcover, illustrated hardcover. So one of those really neat, cool books that you know you buy and you put on your shelf. Um, it's 100 pages, or it's actually it's 90 pages long. And I wrote it with Sarah Tantlinger. Sarah won a Bram Stoker Award, which is horror writers, basically their top award. Um, she won one last year for actually a book of poetry based on H.H. H. Holmes. Um, and to, to tout Sarah's horn one more time, because she's pretty um, <laughs> modest. She's actually a finalist. We found out yeah, a couple days ago. She's a finalist for another Bram Stoker this year for one of her short fiction awards, uh, short fiction books, uh, To Be Devoured, which is great. Hmm. So Sarah's got some pretty serious writing jobs, um, and she's a super, super great person to work with. And so 
we wrote this book. And again, The Devil City actually is based on H.H. H. Holmes, who was known as the Devil of the White City. Uh, and the White City is Chicago. Chicago in 1893. And it got that name because in 1893 was the World's Fair, or the World's Columbian Exposition is what it was called then. And the name White City came from the fact that they made basically the fairgrounds all in marble, white marble. And it oh gleamed. And it was white. Ooh. And so it was the White City. Um, it's also a little bit of a play on a fantastic book by Eric Larson, um, which is The Devil in the White City, which, again, it's a nonfiction book that's amazing um, that goes over the World Exposition and how it happened and how it got to Chicago. And then also there's a side plot or kind of a background plot with his H.H. Holmes. Um, now, H.H. H. Holmes is a very interesting person. He's actually America's first serial killer. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So at one point, folks actually thought he might be Jack the Ripper because they were around the same time. And H.H. Holmes was in Chicago from the 1880s up till capture in 1895, I think, was when he actually got captured. Not in Chicago. But um, when he got captured, he confessed to 27 victims. And the accounts at the time said that that number may actually have been closer to 200. To get him to 200, he actually created his own. He owned a block. He owned a city block in Inglewood. Uh, the name Inglewood neighborhood in Chicago wow. that had a hotel, which was also called the Murder Castle or the Murder Hotel. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just about to ask about that. Was he the guy who did the Murder Castle? Yep, he is. Yeah. That's exactly okay. who yes. he is. Okay. So the novella introduces Holmes, and it is him stalking five addict, uh, five different victims. Each chapter starts with a little kind of a verse from his cha- his Holmes's diary to kind of set the stage a little bit. And then you see Holmes again. He kind of meets them or identifies them. He captures them. Um, and in the final chapter is actually Holmes. And it's him doing the things that he's going to do to them. And you end kind of there with everybody captured in Holmes's basement at the murder castle and with him having basically kind of finished his experiments. And so there's five people there. And for most folks that play Dungeons and Dragons, five is a magic number. Because five mm-hmm. is what we typically design games for, is mm-hmm. for player is for groups of five players. So that's where one of the campaigns in Horror in the Windy City starts. Is you start off as one of the characters from the novella. Each one of you picks one. There are five pregens, and you wake up in the basement and you have to get out. Wow. That is okay. Go on. I'm very interested. <laughs> so that that's the campaign that I'm writing. Uh, it will probably be about twelve sessions total. Not twelve sessions total. Um, probably about um, yeah, not twelve sessions total. Probably about sixteen, twelve to sixteen hours. Um, I like campaigns. When I say campaigns, I typically think of more like mini campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I, I have written three. APs now, like full-on APs that go 1 through 15. Um, that's a lot. I actually like, again, much shorter games. Like a session's about three hours, give or take. At the end of each session, you gain a level. You kind of go that way. Hmm. So, you know, it'll take about 12 hours of game time to get out of the castle. Hopefully, probably 12 to 16. Uh, and that's, that's again, that's kind of the really neat thing. Um, at the same time, the other one that I'm going to end up probably writing myself is while that's happening, we're also going to have to think of 
outside the castle. And so we're going to also have a kind of a campaign. It may not be, it'll probably be a little shorter um, in which a group of PCs, whatever you make them, you know, they have their own connection to some of the victims and they are actually trying to get into the castle to save them. So you kind of have that two things going. You have one start at the bottom, getting your way out. And then you have the other one and you're out trying to get your way in. Interesting. So that's the campaign, like the real horror in the city, Windy City campaign is, is that. Um, and again, they'll probably take about 20 hours of gameplay, maybe maybe a little more, probably maybe a little more for all of it. So I'm pretty excited about that one, actually. That's going to be fun. Uh, so on the outside, is it going to be more of like an investigative game? Kind of like a Sherlock it Holmes? It is, okay. yeah, definitely. So, so, so yeah. a couple of things. So now that we get to, you know, so that's the novella. Um, mm-hmm. the game itself or the 5e game is Horror in the Windy City is the name of that book. That book actually expands the whispers in the dark universe that MT Black and I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. We wrote Quick Start Rules, put it out the first week of January. It's might have hit gold today. It's really close to hitting gold bestseller um, at drive-thru already. Um, oh, wow. It's done incredibly well. And Whispers in the Dark is D&D 5e without classes. And so we kind of switched oh. things around. Instead of of using classes you use backgrounds and the backgrounds and then you use feats and skill and not skills but your know, backgrounds and skill or backgrounds and feats are how you really differentiate your player um it is not historic or it, it is much more like a historic fantasy or historic uh historical fiction game than anything um mm. actually mt just put up a his supplement to it which is a investigator's companion which expands a lot of the options for the players which is really really neat um and whispers in the dark also has a game in it called crowman which is the scenario the first scenario which has gotten great reviews um also and i'll be matt young and i will be writing or are writing the second and the crowman so the thing with whispers in the dark is this is going to be something you know like rob did it rob schwab did it with shadow of the demon lord i'm not gonna i don't want to create a a game or a book and then ignore it and be done and move on um, I want to create a universe and a line of games and a line of books so that it keeps getting supported mm. because we all have so many, we all have those books that are some that are sitting on our shelves and there was very little published after the actual hardcover, you know, mm-hmm. the Kickstarter's done and it just kind of went away. Um, I'm very committed to not doing that. So that's what Horror in the Windy, Windy City is, is it's Chicago from 1850 to 1899. And the first half of that book is basically historic fiction with some mythosy, horror-y type things kind of thrown in, excuse me, occasionally. Um, system, very system agnostic, at least in the beginning of it, where we have all the stuff on the cities. Because, again, it just it's not like we're doing Waterdeep. We're doing Chicago. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not something that's um, specific to anyone. You could use it, honestly, for actually, I bet. Chronicles of Darkness, World of Darkness would might be would be a really good fit. I think if you just wanted a Chicago book that goes over the city in that time frame, um, obviously you could do Call of Cthulhu, um, something like that. So any kind of game system that you play, if it's set in the real world and you want to add a horror element, uh, horror in the Windy City, the first definitely the first half of it has that, and it's a fairly rules like game anyway because again we took the classes out completely. Um, the murder castle is completely mapped out, um, on four maps, which are really cool, of course. Um, awesome. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what else was going on there. So we are also, I know there's two campaigns and 
we're going to have a lot of one shots or kind of loosely connected one shots and smaller games for people too. So you don't have to just sit there and commit to a, again, like a four, five, six, eight session story arc. You can just have that one, one off that you can just kind of run. Um, and, and again, that's going to be kind of really fun too. I think that's, that's what I'm also really excited about is just doing these little stories. Chicago has got a really bizarre history. I mean, really really does especially in the 1800s so it's it's pretty fun to to read about it so did you do a lot of uh research into like chicago's history in order to (laughs) write this okay we did it yeah so so the writers i have some fantastic writers and it's going to be two names that you guys may know two names that you know but don't realize you know probably (laughs) so kat evans is helping me out she's been fantastic kat actually you know is on the altered carbon book that just pop through kickstarter she's working Whoa. on that oh, um, I love she's got yeah she's she's pretty awesome actually um and she's got a lot of dn's guild stuff um the next one so she's one that if you haven't heard of you at least she's a name that you will know soon i'm sure celeste conowich is helping some celeste is the dm for adventure maidens um mm. she's also a guild adept for dm's guild um, so again, those two actually helped me out with Harper's Tale too at the end. Um, and then two people that you may not realize you know, but you probably do, um, is Chris Tallman, who, if you have kids, Chris is actually on Nickelodeon. He's Hank Thunderman <laughs> on the Thundermans. Um, Chris is awesome. Hmm. And he's a screenwriter also. I mean, he has written for like Reno 911 and a couple other things. Oh, wow. um, and then there's Matt Young, who is also a screenwriter, and Matt wrote or writes actually for Blindspot on NBC. So I mean, the the five writers we all have, and then of course there are actually six. So I guess there's six of us. All six writers. I mean, they're professional writers. Every one of us gets paid to write mm-hmm. um, by big companies, you know, like Cobalt, Peterson, um, you know, Altered Carbon, you know, Watsi. I mean, it's not like. NBC, you know, it's not like we're just kind of throwing stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very important for me to have incredibly high quality writing because um, that's what I think makes, I think that really makes or breaks a book, um, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest. And in this case, we all, we all did a lot of research. It's, it is very, it, it's pretty accurate actually in most cases. I mean, when it's not, it's not, but, but again, it's, it's definitely in Chicago. How much magic is in uh, this campaign setting? So there's going to be a couple of this. Yeah. So there's going to be two versions of that. Um, so MT Black and I both kind of are, you know, like the Dave Arnes and Gary Gagax of it, um, yeah. where, <laughs> you know, we, we started it. Um, but we also both have slightly different versions of it. And we'll be doing stuff together, but we'll also be doing stuff apart. So mm-hmm. MT's, um, MT's um, supplement that he just has, that Investigator's Companion, actually does have magic in it. It's very neat. It's very interesting. And... What it is, is, you know, you don't do, there's no, you, there's no wizards. There's no sorcerers. Um, magic takes time. It's not something you can sit there and do in six seconds. It's something that you can do in 10 minutes. And mm. so it's a very, okay. almost, almost think of it like rituals is probably an easy way to think of it. Yeah. So that's kind of the way that MT is doing kind of one of the versions of magic. And the other version of magic is one that I'm going to be writing about. Probably not in this book, but in the core book when we do publish that, which will be next year probably. Um, kind of like Vril Magic, which is kind of a mythosy term. And Vril Magic is going to be actually powered by your hit dice. Oh. And that's I mean, so there will be magic, but magic has cost. I mean, a fairly steep one in some cases. So it's not common at all. 
Um, it's certainly not necessary if you're playing one of the games, you know, and again, so MTs are going to be a little more pulpy than mine. Um, and then other writers can kind of go where they want to with it. But, you know, most of my games, if you end up in combat, you probably messed up once or twice beforehand. You know, you, you probably made a few mistakes along the way to get there. Um, mm. So you don't want to, you know, again, that's that's usually the last resort. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, your 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 ability to investigate and to find clues in a library is more important than your ability to shoot a bow and arrow in most cases. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like these are pretty extensive changes to five E as a system. Like, you know, I mean, that. it's really not actually. That's the kind of the interesting part. I think it's it's not the system. The system's pretty um, um, kind of setting agnostic. It really is actually. You know, so what we did, and again, I can do it in two broad strokes. We basically took away ma uh, magic and we took away classes. Now, you might be thinking, okay, you just took away everything because that's a player, you know, from a player mentality, you, that, that is a <laughs> class and you're probably casting spells. Yeah. Um, but the system itself is the skill checks and mm. saving throws and defeats. And that that's actually the system. Um, so it really mechanically it's actually it's probably about a half step easier than D, &D maybe maybe two steps <laughs> easier than D, D, because again you did lose the, the classes which add a lot of complexity and you lost and you got rid of most of the spells which adds a lot of complexity so this yeah. is a system, as i mentioned the the subject matter for horror in the windy city is not appropriate for a first grader the system easily played um, and then the only mechanic we added is the sanity rules from lamp slide. I made some adjustments to make them fit whispers. Um, because again, actually, now that I think about it, two more things that players are going to hate. Um, everybody's a D six. There are no eights or twelves mm -hmm. or tens. Everybody's a six. The other one is a short rest is a day and a long rest is a week. Nice. And again, it's actually easy stuff. It's not something that you're going to have to be like, hold on, I can't remember what he did. It's it's something different. It's it's pretty it's pretty intuitive. Um, so you know, everybody that we did the quick start rules, we actually had seventy folks. I think tested the game before we released it. Um, I handed pregens out, and they played immediately. They were done. And that really is it. And there's a cheat sheet for the sanity rules, um, which you guys saw in Lampslight. So it's 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 not a game you have to learn how to play, which was super important to me, too, because when I did Lampslight, it was basically I'm like, I want Cthulhu and I want horror. But my friends don't have time to learn Call of Cthulhu. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. So we're going to make again, we're going to make a version. We're going to experience we're going to get the gameplay of Call of Cthulhu. Um, the gameplay of, you know, Fear Itself, the gameplay from Dread and from uh, Purple Cover, I can't remember the name of it, um, and make it in a game rule, a rule set that literally millions and millions of people know how to play. And when Critical Role played the, the Crystal Palace a couple of months ago, that just further cemented it that the idea is good. It's getting it in front of them. You know, I think if I could get you know, if I could get Critical Role fans to see this, I mm. think I could fund in 10 minutes, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. They are super fantastic fans. I mean, they're like, they're like, they're, they're super fans. Um, you know, if Liam or Sam or Matt or Marisha or Travis or whomever say, you know what, this is a cool thing. It's done. You're, you're finished. I mean, perfectly honest. I mean, I remember they did it with, I think Matt did something with, uh, 
what was it that baby bestiary or something like that um he posted something and you know what i i'm super happy i think it was nor got it for them but you know they hit their goal a thousand times over oh my gosh i mean Dang. they did it quick that's and crazy. it's a great product and that's the thing too is there's so many great third parties out there publishers that are we are all struggling to not lose money it's not even making money it's not losing money um that have fantastic products that we just need to get the audience and that's again that's why i like talking to you guys i mean i like talking to you guys anyway but that's why we have to try so hard to promote mm -hmm. uh, because it's just you know it's just hard. It really, really is. And this is a neat game. I, I think this is a really neat game. And I think a lot of people would like it, but I just can't get it in the front of, in the front of their eyes. So, yeah. And I think, uh, I think one of the really interesting things that you mentioned is that, uh, your game kind of reduces the complexity of any role playing system it goes into, which it does. I, 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 I've seen, um, many other, uh, like campaign settings or things like that, where they introduce so many other systems and 5e can already be kind of convoluted and complicated when you get into like the really complex classes. So mm -hmm. something that really reduces the complexity. So like the barrier to entry is just much lower and it's much more approachable and it still keeps that kind of the, the cool ideas of the, the game is really, that's really cool to see. Thank you. Yeah. And so I think, first off, I'm going to have to tweet that because that's a great point. Um, and it, it, you distilled what was in my head. Um, one of the things, too, and when I have folks or see folks like, well, D&D &D doesn't do this or this other game doesn't do that. Um, again, it's the focus on the rules. And like you said, the entry that, you know, that that level of effort that needs to be to, just to even play the game. And so what I like to do and what I did with, again, with the people that I pulled in, I pulled in, I pulled in people that I am impressed with their work in some way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. And I want this game to be about the writing and the art and the game design last. And that, I mean, that's actually the way I want it to that's be. That's the order. <laughs> yeah. that, that really is. And the thing is, my arts are amazing. So I didn't even mention them. So like Thomas Boatwright did the cover for one of the books. Um, Thomas does, did the HP Lovecraft comic books. Oh my gosh. Thomas is awesome. You know, uh, Sam Araya did one of my pieces. Um, Sam did King in Yellow. Um, Francois Valencourt. Francois just did an illustrated version of the revival by Stephen King. These are legitimate I'm, artists. My gosh. Big yeah, no, I'm not yeah. using. Yeah, like Dan Sarah is. I used a couple of Dan's. The picture of like kind of the tent, the watercolor stuff. Dan is on about half of the indie covers for horror books right now because Dan wins awards. Huh. Um, you know, you guys know Matt, Matt Ray. I mean, and I kept some of the people that I've used before. Like Matt did my um, individual um, illustrations, like my PC and illustrations in Lampslight. Um, I added Chris Spence, Dan Hawksworth. I went out of my way to find people. You know, Keelan Patrick Burke did the cover for Horror in the Windy City. Keelan is an award-winning writer and cover designer. You know, I again, I think that's the thing too. Is I'm trying to make folks understand that you know if if my name's on a book so let's say matt corley does tales of the marguerite for cobalt press or matt corley did a section in deep magic for cobalt press or matt did ghoul island for sandy or did the other three books for sandy the quality of the books between cobalt i mean if my name's on it the quality of the books can be consistent regardless of the publisher mm-hmm 
And honestly, in some cases, I think the these books, my books, I think have my stamp a little bit more because I do all the art direction and all that stuff too. And I mean, the books are gorgeous. Um, I will shoot you guys an ebook of the novella today, by the way. Yes, because I awesome. want to read that. Yeah, it's neat. I like it. It's about it's ninety pages, so it's about fifteen thousand words. There's a little chapter at the end that's an appendix about the actual murder castle as well, and kind of the process Toby and I went through to get the maps. Um, it's a are they not book. readily available? Or yeah, so the thing is, is so this is eighteen nineties, right? So there's yeah. it's really interesting where the more things change, the more they stay the same. And Holmes was. Again, he was sensationalized in a lot of ways. He did it himself, and he wanted the attention. Um, but the other thing is, is so when we were trying to find the maps, the maps were really kind of impossible because mm. the maps that are out there were written by or drawn by the folks that actually wrote the articles, maybe without even going there. And, oh. Uh, based on eyewitness, you know, kind of quote-unquote eyewitness accounts and or, you know, they read an account of somebody and they imagine it this way. And so there's a lot there's I don't think there is any such thing as a historically accurate version. Hmm. That hmm. said, we definitely did what we could with what we had. Um, we definitely made a, updates and changes to it because it is a game. Um, and his hotel covered a square block. So oh. it was not small at all. Wow. <laughs> um, but we hit all the high points. Toby's a fantastic cartographer. And, you know, I kind of gave him some I gave him some guardrails and he just banged around inside of them and what he produced is fantastic the book itself so the novella actually has 12 pieces of art i think or 11 pieces of art plus four maps wow. um again by these guys so like if you're mm -hmm. a horror person and i say daniel sarah you're going to know exactly who i'm talking about you know and francois and all those guys so that's kind of again it was important to me to get folks from different i keep calling them mediums but different media you know straight novels versus games and stuff and, and bring everybody kind of together so um, if I had an idea for a book, how would I go about getting started you know, making these connections with artists and writers? Yeah. So horror, and again, those are the two areas I can talk about basically is horror and RPGs, right? So mm -hmm. I would get on social media. I would be nice and pleasant. Um, <laughs> I have to say. And I would support everybody. I You don't start off... You know, the funny thing is, is everybody's like the first, you know, if I friend somebody or follow somebody or whatever, and the first thing they do is ask me to do X for them. That's a block, you know, and that that's true. I mean, actually, folks don't do that to me. Um, I like ask me that kind of stuff for whatever reason. Um, but I think you'll find that everybody is very accommodating a lot. Most folks want to help each other. It's a community. Um, I really, really wish that all the independents, we were better able to help each other. Because, you know, I'm not competing against Cobalt. I'm not competing against, you know, um, Chaosium. I'm not competing against Nord. I'm not competing against anybody. I'm competing against apathy or against lack of exposure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the new D&D book hit number one on the bestsellers list. Like, the list. Not the RPG list. The bestseller <laughs> on Amazon awesome. in like a yeah. day. There are people. You know, we're not... <laughs> there's... That, that mentality of, well, you're taking work from me or I'm taking work from you. I think that's very, it's very limited. Um, yeah. It's very narrow, myopic. It's just not, and again, it's not, it, it's not true. I mean, it's just not true. I've, I've got 85 backers right now to get me, you know, 3,100 bucks. 85, that's it. That That's 
I had more people than that in my chemistry classroom at school, you know, when I was in college. <laughs> Dang. So if I hit 500 backers, you, I will be like screaming happy. So there, it, we have people. It's not about stealing backers. Even now where times are really tough, it's not about that. The people that don't have the money are the ones spending it anyway because they're always supporting us. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think that's, I would love to see that someday say, well, let's look at the average income of the folks that back these indies. And you want to have a feeling it's pretty low because they're the people that are the most supportive. Hmm. And I wish I could give people as much as I can. And I try to give as much as I can. Um, But again, we've got to figure that out. We've got to figure out getting, again, it's all, it all boils down to getting eyes and supporting each other because we're not competing. We really aren't. Um, Folks are generally pretty happy to help each other. I think one interesting thing that I've observed is that the D&D community is very, uh, I don't want to say fractured, but it's just so spread out and expansive that it's, it's, it's not, there's not an easy way to like one, one reach all kind of deal where everybody has this universal like medium that they are are like a part of. It's, it's so like all over the place and I I, I would make marketing so uh, difficult, I imagine. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, again, this is something that's completely out of our control is like, you know, Twitter and Facebook are the best medium for me that I can get to there. And they throttle you. Yeah, I mean, they literally, I mean, the algorithm is set up that if you push a if you put a link in this spot, you will absolutely get less exposure, period. Mm-hmm. It's part of their marketing campaign. It is the way it is, you know, and it stinks. Um, but that's why when somebody says retreats, please, I, I almost always like and put yes, just it takes me three seconds to push that buttons. Um, because again, it, you are fighting algorithms all day long because they get money out of it, of me using their ads. So, you know, again, it, it is kind of what it is. And like you said, there everybody's all over. So, you know, I, I don't have an op. There's not one spot that I can get to that has 10,000 people or a thousand people you know those aren't those are not opportunities that are open to most folks hmm. interesting so uh where can i find your products yes so the one i'm most worried about <laughs> um is devil city um it's called the devil city horror fiction and 5e gaming conjoined um it is on kickstarter uh best way to do it is probably it's at the oh shoot you probably need to search the devil city for 5e okay to find it it's I didn't I didn't get a you know glamour thingy, um, glamour URL. Um, but if you're at Twitter, I'm always at Matthew D Corley. Uh, my pinned post and also within my profile are links to my Kickstarter. Um, I'm also at SaturdayMorningScenarios.com. It's Saturday-Morning-Scenarios.com. Um, I finally started a website. It's pretty bare bones, but it's there. And then of course at Drive Through RPG is where a lot of my stuff is as well. Um, that's that's it. I mean, yeah. And when does the Kickstarter end? So Kickstarter started on Tuesday. It ends on April 29th at midnight. So I have 25 days left to go. Um, you know, again, I think, I think something that I want folks to understand too is with this rule set, yes, I am very much touting it as a whore in the windy, you know, whore in the windy city, whore this, whore that. Um, if the DM or GM or your players prefer a game that's more investigative or more like a mystery and more, you know, a little bit more veracity, this rule set very, very easily does that. That That's mm. what it's done. 
The horror, the writers add the horror. The designers don't add the horror. The writers add the horror. Um, and so kind of as I mentioned with Zoink, Zoink's going to be the exact same rules, mechanics, but it's for eight-year-olds, you know, versus this one. And so, you know, if you want to have a CSI-type game where you can absolutely do that with these rule set, and actually, like, the Crowman, which is the scenario I wrote for um, the Quick Start, it literally starts with you're finding a body, and you are basically doing a kind of a CSI-type thing in a D&D game. Mm. So it, you can do it. And again, I don't want people who are, you know, again, I, I don't want people to think that horror is all blood and guts and gore. And yes, actually, the book is a little gory, um, the novella. But from a rules perspective, you can certainly do this without, you can do this without Supernatural easily. You can do mm-hmm. that pretty easily. You know, uh, Annie Oakley is going to be in this book. Phil Hickok <laughs> oh, is wow. going to be in this book. You know, <laughs> Frederick Douglass will be in this book. So that's the other thing, too, is, you know, maybe you want to run a campaign of historic fiction set in Chicago. This book will help you tremendously. If, if you know D&D, this is probably the best book that you can get. It's the best book that I'm aware of. Um, and that's, you know, obviously I'm a little bit um, biased, but mm-hmm. you know, this is a this is the only D&D book I know of that's ever been in Chicago. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, this is a weird question, but what what's your favorite uh, historical fact that you learned while researching the history of Chicago? Oh, shoot. Hold on. I'm going to have to think. <laughs> There's That's a, a lot question. of really weird stuff. I mean, there really is. Like, the University of Chicago burned down, like, three times. Whoa. In, like, six years. <laughs> you know I mean? In, like, a decade. <laughs> It's weird. It's Chicago's really, I mean, I kind of lucked out picking that actually because of all the bizarre stuff. Um, shoot. And I, you know what? If you hadn't asked me, I probably could have told you off the top of my head because <laughs> that section is actually written um, completely finished. And mm-hmm. there was, I mean, everybody found so many neat, weird little nooks and crannies. Um, Grant Ellis, who, gosh, I can't, Grant, I'm so sorry. I meant, I didn't mention you earlier. Grant, Grant, Grant did the video, by the way, which is fantastic. It's on YouTube. It's on the Kickstarter page. It tells a lot of this. Um, Grant's doing the criminal, kind of the organized crime syndicates, which is mm-hmm. really, really neat too, because the crime syndicates at one point were kind of not connected. And then they started getting connected through families and through different districts and became organized crime. Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, I could probably write, I could probably double the size of the book and just stick to history of Chicago um, while embellishing it a little bit, you know, to make it more game friendly pretty mm-hmm. easily, actually. All right. Anything else you want to add? Uh, let's see. I don't know. I think that's probably it. Anything you guys want to talk about? I'm trying to think. I mean, anything at all. My comment is just on the value of having a source book based on a real city. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, in school right now to be a high school history teacher so i'm just reading a lot lot of history books all the time and finding a centralized well research well researched source book (laughs) whether it's for DD or not is something that interests me and that's something that um i don't know maybe it's because i'm older now than i was and i like reading books about history but uh i'm as a game player and just a fan of history i'm excited for this book yeah, so like Daniel Burnham, the architect of the devil of the the world's exposition is in the book. You know, so like The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson is a wonderful historical book. Um, and it was used heavily, heavily by all of us. We all read it. 
ahead of time to kind of stay consistent with it. And I mean, Sarah, this is Sarah's second book about H.H. Holmes. Um, <laughs> wow. So she knows she knows H.H. Holmes <laughs> very, very well. Um, but again, I think that's a great point is future books. Um, you know, for me, it it is historic fiction. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is. You know, and I took that cue, again, I always mention Chris, because Chris Spivey wrote Harlem Unbound, which to me is a historical fiction book. It's literally in museums because of how good it is and what it represents, you know, for in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, if you're looking at books in the kind of, you know, books that you can buy on Amazon, The Hunger by Amakatsu, and then The Deep is her new one that I haven't, I haven't read yet, but The Hunger is about the Donner Party Ooh. with a supernatural twist. Um, then there's The Alienist and The Angel of Darkness by Caleb Carr, which are fantastic turn-of-the-century Gaslight-era books of murder mysteries, like kind of a horror or not horror they're more of a suspense murder book. Um, that is what I'm going for. And I think, again, I have such a hard time describing this game because on one hand, I want to say it's D&D because I want D&D players to see it. But on the other hand, I don't want to call it D&D because there's not dragons. There's not dungeons. It's, <laughs> it's Whispers of the Art is the game. It's just we're using the SRD that Watsi lets me use. Um, so again, yeah, it, it really is historical fiction. And I guess since we're still talking um, and I'm remembering stuff as we go, um, I do have more books in the, in the hopper. And it really depends on how well this Kickstarter does on the, the timelines. Um, I have a novella that I've already got an author starting on for... Um, the fearing is John Taff is a serialized book that he wrote last year. Um, he's writing a novella that kind of fits in that series for me. Mm. Um, it's current times. And so what I'm going to do is the whispers in the dark book, the next one, um, probably the core, it'll probably be part of the core, but it may be its own book, um, is actually gonna be set in Baltimore and it's going to be current. So we're going to move whispers in the dark up from the late 1800s to 2020. Oh my gosh. Um, Mm. and I, again, I want to do this from a historical way and add different eras for the backgrounds. Cause again, the book, the rules are actually pretty light. So I'll, you know, I'll just need to add some backgrounds really to kind of take care of that. And again, we'll give Baltimore the same, um, same treatment that we gave Chicago. And I imagine Baltimore has some pretty bizarre things too, because it's (laughs) also a very old city. Um, at least for us U.S. people, what we think of as old. (laughs) Uh, Again, I want, it's very historical fiction. Um, and that, again, that's historical speculative fiction, I guess, is, is my genre or is what I want people to think of these games as because it's a great game. Um, D&D is a great, great skills uh, skeleton to build stuff on. I just learned so much in this interview about I know like history and also about system design and connections like Matt, you're a uh, you're a renaissance man. <laughs> very true. Very true. Well, the key is I want to retire from my day job and do this. So I got to get out there and get moving. <laughs> uh, uh, what what percentage do you think you are uh, toward completing that goal? Oh, gosh. <laughs> if, um, you know, like it's, it, it, you know, we'll, we'll talk about writing in general here for a bit then. So I think the challenge that folks see, um, we you see people online saying, I need X, Y, Z for prices or for my, my rates. Um Despite me seeing tweets and comments where folks say, well, we really should be making 10 or you really should be making 12 or 15 cents a word. You you know, that'd be great. But people don't. Mm. You know, they really don't. Five cents a word. My first book was a penny. Um, 
And that was that was a actually correct. I deb. I am not in any way, shape, or form complaining about that because it was Matt has never done a book for me. I don't know him. I'm making a shot, taking a shot on him. Um, we finally got up to a nickel a word right now. Is probably industry is finally industry standard. Professional rates are eight cents a word. And if you think about that, a hundred thousand word book is only eight thousand mm, dollars. And that's a big book. It is. Yeah. That's an adventure path. That's an entire adventure path. That's one through 15. Um, that is a big novel. A, I mean, a very big novel, actually. It's like a 300 plus page novel. So, you know, we're not there. I don't know that anybody, any, I, unless you actually work for Watsi or you own a publishing company that actually publishes it, you're not going to get there. And that's part of why I'm into publishing is one, I want to write my own. I want to write the books I want to write. Mm-hmm. And two, I know that if I'm ever going to make any kind of money, I'm going to have to take the almost all the middlemen out of it. And it's mm-hmm. going to have to be me doing it. And and this book really was me trying to write it as a publisher because I brought in five writers to help me. I mean, I can write all this. I mean, I've done it before um, and I read every single word. I edit every single thing and I add to everything, too. But again, it was me trying to pay professional rates to everybody and then also give them some profit sharing so that if this really takes off, they get some of that too. Um, so I've learned a ton about publishing. I mean, honestly, you know, like Monty Cook, Sandy, um, Wolfgang, they are the ones that have Kickstarters that are successful enough that they can do two a year and run a company. Wow. But those, I mean, my, let's see, Tales of the Margrave, over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I'm just thinking of the books I've done that I've been lead on or heavily involved in um, three or four hundred thousand dollars in Kickstarters in the last couple of years. And those but that's very hard. I mean, that's that's Sandy Peterson. That's Wolfgang Bauer. That's Monty Cook. That's not I mean, those are people that in some cases have a bigger name than the folks that actually work at Watsi. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, again, yeah, it's hard. It's super, super hard. I wish I wish I knew how to do it. Um, getting there slowly. We'll see. <laughs> Well, hopefully um, you'll you'll get fully funded really soon and <laughs> yes, I get hope. the next thing out. Yeah. So uh, thanks for being on the show, Matt. It's yeah. always a pleasure. I always enjoy it too. It's really fun talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah, big uh, thanks. And we will have you on the show again, I'm sure. <laughs> that sounds great. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 63. I'm William. I'm David. And I'm Matt. And we'll see you next time.